This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Let's start. Are you ready? Yeah, let us go. let's go. Okay, everyone. Parshas Truma 5784. So we're going to talk about the Kruven. Now, technically, I have talked, thank you, Matthew. I have talked about the Kruven before, and we've spoken about it at length in other shiram. But here I'm going to talk about the actual making of it. You should make for yourself two Kruven of gold. Make shatasel. Some you have to make them as one molten thing together. It can't be that you take two kruvim, you put them on. No, one big thing together. Mishnei kesosa kaporas, and they're on both sides of the kaporas. So Rashi starts off and says that the kruvim were statues that are the form of a child's face on them, on each one of them. It doesn't say a child's body. Notice, but a child's face. The Gemara Tzukadafheimabeis says it comes from the word kirivya. Kiruvim is kirivya, which means like a child. According to Rashi. The chaf, therefore, is not part of the word. Ki, rivia. Rivia is the word, that means child. But the chaf is just telling you what it's supposed to look like. Now, the agun, agu, Avosim says, this teaches us to always learn Torah like a child. There's a lot of different vorts that go with this, dealing with the children, why the Kruvim have to look like a child when it comes to the Aron Kodesh, etc. Excitement, vigor, etc. But either way, regardless, that's the idea by the Arugas Avosim. The Midrash Gadol and the Abarbanel say that they have human bodies, human bodies, regular human bodies, with wings on their backs that look like birds' wings. The Rashbam and the Chizkuni call them Ophos, Mamish birds. Right? He understands this from a Pasukin. Where Yechesko praises the king of Tzur, and he wonders what happened to him, calling him Kruv Mimasha Chasuka, a great sheltering Kruv. It certainly doesn't seem to be a big bird in that context. The context is a little bit weird, but I'm not sure. You can read the Pasukin yourself, the Pasuk yourself, and see what it says. But the word Sochei could mean spread out wings, like a bird sheltering over its nest and whatever it is, and maybe that's what they mean Kruv. But either way, the Rashbam and the Chizkuni says that means a large bird. It's possible both explanations go together, right? They could have had bird-like bodies with human faces, right? Baby faces or infant faces. That seems to be the Raul Bag's opinion, right? The Mishnah Melech in Hilchus Klei Miktosh and Parachas Halacha Tazvav says that any picture could in theory be a Kruv. The parties Yosef discusses a bit, Ayn Sham, right? But based on this, the Medjish Rabban Brish seems to say that they're shapeshifters. They could look like absolutely anything at all. You could look like anything there. If you check out, there's a to- there's also a Tosvos in Baba Basra and Tzadi Testament Aleph. The pictures in Tosvos are two birds, the big Kruvim are two birds. It's not a human being. It's literally bird bodies and bird everything. But you could also say that's because he didn't want to draw the Kruvim. Right? So either way, regardless, that's the Makhlu of what they look like. We talked about that at length in a different shear. For right now, I just want to go through that idea right over there. But the Ibn Ezra argues that the Chaf has to be part of the word. And the reason why is because we see the word Hakiruvim in the next Pasuk. If the word is Ruvim, and they were like Ruvim, and that's the word, it should be Haruvim. That's what it should be, right? That's the idea behind it, that's what he says over here. And he says that it could be the word simply means Tsuros, pictures, and that's what the word Kiruv means, meaning with the Chaf, the Chaf is part of the word itself, and that's that. And in fact, Yechezkel does say that the Chayos HaKodesh have a Pnei HaShor. In another place, he says, it's the Pnei HaKruv. So a Kruv could apparently look like a Shor. It was an ox-like picture, and later on it seems that all four of the pictures are called Kruv, him, and 
that seems to be what it refers to. And that's the idea behind it, right? That's the idea there. Oh, guys, I don't know. I would have dressed up for you. That's amazing. I would have worn my bow tie. Okay, that's that. The Mizrahi, later, I saw that the Abarbanel discusses this as well, is not bothered by the problems of the Ibn Ezra whatsoever. He says the Chaf is there because the Malachim look like children. So the Chaf is actually part of their names. In other words, the word is not Ruvim. They are Keruvim. Like children. So that is their name. So therefore it's Ha-Kiruvim. That's how to be honest for Yechezko. The Rashbam, the Rambam says that they're all called Kruvim because the four pictures on the Kisya were made by Bali Seichel. They had to be something different. It was Yechezko himself were daven for the shore to become a Kruv by the Egel Azov. That's exactly what happened after the Egel Azov, obviously. He goes through all of the Tainas of the Ibn Ezra and knocks them all. The Mizrahi does that. The Gorarye does that. He goes through that anything with wings can be termed a Kruv because we don't know exactly what it is, especially go with the Bracious Rabbah, they're shapeshifters. If they can look like anything, then they could all be Kruven. There's really not that big of a deal. A Kruv could be a Shore, a Kruv could be an Arya, a Kruv could be anything at all. All of that deals with what they looked like and what they were. Either way, we have to ask the question, and we're going to go into all these Kruven completely. First of all, why were there two of them? Why are there two Kruven? One Kruv is one thing. But a second Kruv, what is that necessary for? What is the idea behind two Kruvim? So the simplest answer to this question from the Medjagadol, right? So no one would think that the Kruv represents Hashem. If there's one Kruv on the Aron Kodesh, one might think that that actually is a statue, an idol that represents God. And therefore, obviously, you couldn't do one. And that, to me, is the most obvious answer in the world. The Panech Raza, the Rechaim Paltiel, the Shach, later I found in the Medrash Tadshe, they all say the following. It was for the names of Hashem Elohim. Now, I'm going to start you know, with a little bit of a premise before I get into this. Obviously, we're going to be talking about Shemus of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we're going to be speaking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a certain way over here, in which we're going to talk about Midas Adin and Midas Arachamim. Obviously, we know that it is all one HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There is no difference. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, means we obviously know that all the different aspects of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that He wants us to know in this world are all one. Is there an aspect of Midas Adin and Midas Arachamim? 100% there's an aspect of Midas Adin and Midas Arachamim. That does not mean that they are separate entities, chas v'shalom, or that it represents different things. When we say that there's a Shechina that does not represent a feminine side to God, so to speak, chas v'shalom. That's not what it means. So when we say that the two Kruvim represent Hashem Elohim, what we mean to say is, is that one of the Kruvim represent how a Kaddish Baruch who treats this world in Midas Adin, and the other one represents how a Kaddish Baruch who treats the world in Midas Arachamim. Also, one representing Torah Shavachsav and Torah Shavachopeh. That's the idea behind it. Explaining why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. All of that is what the Kruvim represented. Again, HaKadosh Baruchu, so to speak, is what the Kruvim, but what the Kruvim represented and why they're on both sides of the Aron Kodesh were just this. One showing how HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world through Din, one showing how HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world through Rachamim. The Razan Mayor explains that Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to be Ma'ora Rachamim Abeneso, was trying to bring it up on those Sadiqim She'enam Gemurim, those Sadiqim that are unfortunately, not allowed to go without punishment in this world. They're not Sadiqin Gamurim, as well as Rashaim Shain in Gamurim, who's supposed to get some type of reward in this world. And therefore, the Malach of Rachamim represented how even Rashaim Shain Gamurim have to get some reward in this world. And the Malach of Din is for the Tzadikim that are not Gamurim, that they're supposed to get some type of Din in this world. Shlomo Malach, as we'll see later on, made two other Malachim, two other Kruvim, that sat on the floor of the base of Mikdash. Those two Kruvim were supposed to represent Tzadikim Gamurim and 
and Rishayin Gamorim. Tzadikin Gamorim get all of the reward in, Olam, in this world and the next world. And Rishayin Gamorim get all punishment in this world and the next world. That's all there. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on because obviously we have to know why Shlomo Melo felt the need to make two other Malachim. Rabbeinu Yol says, interestingly, they represented Gavriel and Michoel, the two well-known Malachim, I guess the two best-known Malachim, I would say, right, that everybody would know, right, one on the right, that's Chesed, that's Michoel, one on the left, that's Gvura, that's Gavriel. And that also makes a lot of sense, right? They put it on either side. That's Rabbi Yol. The Balaturim says, Kruvim is the Gematria of 278. It's Mare Kavod, the appearance of honor, because that's what they look like. They look like the Kavod that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted in this world, whatever that's supposed to mean. The Shach says that shows his love for Bnei Yisrael. Atras Adar says refers to the Kisya Kavod that's above, above everything. The Bechor Ashur also says it represents the Chayos HaKodesh and all the Malachim that are by the Kisya Kavod up in Shemayim as we see from Yechezkel's vision. The Rabbeinu Bechaya has a very long piece over here that deals with the Malachim and Yechezkel's vision going through every part of the Pasuk Yechezkel where he goes to that first parak and the second parak and trying to understand it. All of those are the same basic idea. There are Balaturim, the Shach, the Rabbeinu Bechaya, the Bechor Shor, they're all saying the same basic idea that it represents actual Malachim. And maybe that connects to the Rabbeinu Yol, who says it's Michal and Gabriel. Fine. All of that is there. The Ralbag says it represents Seichel and Nefesh. I didn't want to go into that. The Ralbag speaks about it a little bit, right? But again, that's a Rishon dealing with Seichel and Nefesh. The Rabbeinu Bechaya and the Shach both say there was one big Malach and one smaller Malach. Now, in most places, you'll see that they were equal to one another, that the Kruvim were exactly equal with one little difference between them. But according to these two, the Rabbeinu Bechai and the Shach, it actually was one bigger Malach on one side and one smaller Malach on the other side. And the reason why is it's showing HaKadosh Baruch Hu's love that he gives to Bnei Yisrael. There's one Mashpia, the one giving the influence and giving over to the other, and one being Mushpa, one being influenced and allowed over there. But again, is that something you've heard before? Have you heard that the Kruvim were one big and one small? No. It's not a well-known thing because everybody understands it as being too equal to one another. But either way, that's about six answers as to why there were two Malachim. If you want, I could divide it up into eight answers, but that's the idea. The Balaturim and the Rokeach both say that Shnei Kruvim, you add on the word Shnei, is the Gematria of 638, which same Gematria is Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So that HaKadosh Baruch remembers the Schoselfos. Obviously, the two Kruvim could not represent three Avos, but rather that Baruch remember that Schosel. The only problem with that is that the Pusik does not say Shnei Kruvim. It says Shnayim Kruvim. So that's a problem. What do you do with the Mem? So I don't have an answer for that. For some reason, the Balaturim and the Rokeach both ignore the Mem. And I don't have an answer. I have no idea what they mean by that. There is a parish that tried to explain it. I don't get it. The Rabbin Ephraim says differently. He says it has nothing to do with Malachim, nothing to do with the Kaddish Baruch nothing to do with that at all. It stands for two Talmidim that learn Torah together. Chavrusas. The very first riot to Chavrusas. Where they're facing each other and they're talking to one another in Halacha, right, making sure that they understand and they both grow from that. Because Kina Sofrim, the jealousy of Sofrim, of good Talmud Echamim, Tar Bechachma. Aznayin Latorah says it's a warning that one should never learn alone. And that's the reason why, so there were two. So all of those are answers as to why there's two altogether. Interestingly, Refers says, there's only one other place in the Torah, aside from the Mishkan, where we see the word Kruvim. Does anybody know where it is? It's one other place in Tanakh, well, Tanakh, I think where the word Kruvim comes into play. The Mishkan, obviously. Anything related to the Mishkan, the Beis HaMikdash, etc., it says Kruvim, fine. So you have the Vaishlom HaMelech, Malach you have it over here in Tetruma, in Truma, you have it later on by Vayakel. Where else do we see the word Kruvim? What was placed outside of Gan Eden? 
with a lahat hacherev hamisapachas, the flaming sword that went around, that guarded the way to the Eitzachayim. What was placed there? Kruven. Why in the world were Kruven placed there? Discussion for another time. But the Kruven are also mentioned there. So the Rapersh says, clearly Kruven are protectors. Their idea, what they're supposed to do, they're guardians. They stand straight. They stand fast. They do what they're supposed to do. When they stand on the Aron Kodesh, it may be the exact same thing. They are guardians and protectors of the Aron Kodesh and the Torah beneath it. By doing, learning our, the Torah ourselves, as well as guarding the Torah ourselves, we can become like Malachim, leading a Kodesh Baruch to protect us and take care of us with everything we need in this world. That's the idea of Yohan. It explains, he goes on and explains why there's two of them, but that's the idea of the guardians and protectors, just like the Kruvim are used by Gan Eden to protect, they're on top of the Aron Kodesh to protect. Rabbi Victor Miller says the exact same thing. Thing. The Kruvim were intended to protect our most valuable object. If you have this one object that's worth way more than anything else, you're going to put all of your guardianship, everything that you have on that item. And that is the Aron Kodesh. That is the Luchos that represents the Torah itself. For such a grave need, HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed us to do something that we never would have done otherwise. We just made idols and placed it in the Kodesh HaKadoshim on top of the Aron Kodesh. Says Rabbi Victor Miller, who would have thought that that was okay? Who would have thought that's a normal thing to do? But HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, this idea is to show us the awareness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to fear him constantly, to understand that such a thing is necessary. We need guardians. And therefore, these golden statues represent that guardianship, even though it's something so beyond our understanding. And I'm going to come back to this. I am going to come back to this idea of why in the world are we making statues. First, has anybody ever heard that the Kruvim were one male and one female. Heard that before, right? You never heard that before? Okay, it's a Rashi in Divrei Hayamim. It's Rashi in Divrei Hayamim. Paragimel Pasuk Yod. It's Divrei Hayamim Beis. Paragimel Pasuk Yod. It's actually not that clear from Rashi himself. Rashi is not very clear about it. He might be talking about something. You could translate the Rashi in some other way. But it's also brought clearly. This is without a question. This is like, you don't even have to do any doubts over here. It's brought by the Rabbeinu Bechaya. The Rabbeinu Bechaya says clearly that the Kruvim were exactly the same, except one was male and one was female. The only question is, how in the world would you define that? I saw an old picture book that had the Kruvim on top of the Aron Kodesh, and it had one with boy hair and one with girl hair. Well, that just wouldn't work nowadays, right? 2024, that probably wouldn't be the most PC thing that you could have out there. But I always wondered about this. How in the world, if they're baby-faced, again, baby-faced, how in the world can you tell a boy baby from a girl baby by looking at the face? Is there a way to tell that? What? Earrings, right? That's it. So did one of the Kruvim have earrings? I mamish have no idea how to answer this question. I feel it's a really strong question. And I kept looking around to try to find something. I haven't found anything yet. I have ideas, but I didn't, I couldn't say anything concrete when it came to this. I assume that the Kruvim were not, I'm sorry? That's a funny one, actually. I don't know. Maybe they did draw one with an Adam's apple, right? One with an Adam's apple would be out there. I assumed that you're not showing genitalia. 
that the wings of the Kruvim covered up that area of their body and therefore you couldn't see them. They obviously weren't wearing clothes. Now, if there were no clothes and the, the wings were only up on top, right, like that, one to the other, then it could be that you could tell one crew from the other simply put by how they looked on the bottom of their bodies. My assumption was that's not true, that they didn't really have human bodies, but now that I, you, know, you think about it, maybe that is it. Maybe one was male, one was female, and even though that would put somebody in the mindset of, oh my gosh, you're looking at an erva when you're inside there. Think about this. First of all, no one was allowed to look at the Aron Kodesh. Second of all, the only one who was able to go in was the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. So therefore, I don't think that was going to be an issue. And Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur doing the Avodah of Yom Kippur would not have thought that way, and therefore I wouldn't be worried about it. Dave, yeah. Uh, Another issue, but it's possible, we talked about this before, that was like a couple years ago, it's possible that on the parochas, the kruvim were covered, but you could see that they were doing something inappropriate. That that's it, they're levius, you're talking about the male and the female kruvim. The relationship of a husband and wife, right, on there, but it's possible that, right, right, but it's possible that the wings covered it up. It's possible that that was true, but you're 100% right. Could you discern which one was the male and the female? It's possible. It's very possible. I can't tell you. I really can't tell you. But you're, you're 100% right. That would also lead you to think, like, what's going on over here? How do we know which one is male, which one is female? Now, all of this is hinted to in a Gemara. It's in Yuma Nundalid Amadalaf. When Bnei Yisrael came in to do Aliyah Laregel, the Gemara says they took down the Parochas to show them the Kruvim holding each other to show them how much a Kaddish Baruch Hu loved them. Now, the truth is, I always assumed it refers to the parochas itself, as Dave just said, the parochas had pictures of the kruvim on it. They would take the parochas out, and this is what I thought the Gemara meant, right? They took the parochas out, they showed it to the people, and the people looked at it, and they saw the kruvim drawn or embroidered on the parochas. And they were like, look at that. After all, the Ammonim saw that parochas and said, look what these Jews are doing. And they brought the parochas to everyone. They couldn't have seen the Aron, because the Ammonim never had the Aron. So they saw the kruvim on the parochas. I thought that's what they showed people as well. But for some reason, the Shach, the Nitziv, the Malbim, Torah Shlema, and Rishonim in that Gemara all say that it refers to the actual Kruvim. And they ask the Kasha, they ask this Kasha, they say, how could they see the Kruvim? It was in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. How were they able to see it? And they said it was miraculous, or they were allowed into a certain area. Or there were, I, I have no, I, I keep looking at those Gemaras and I'm wondering, I just look at it and I'm like, but maybe it wasn't the own. Maybe it was the Prochas. They unrolled the Prochas and they brought it out to the people and said, look at this. I, I mamish have absolutely no idea why we're assuming it's the actual Kruvim. But that is the Gemara in Yom and And I assume I'm wrong. I just don't know why I'm wrong. I don't know why everybody assumes they saw the Kruvim on the Aron Kodesh and not the Kruvim that were on the Prochas. I, I have absolutely no idea why that's used right over there. Now, where does this all come from? That they were male and female, but otherwise they were exactly alike. And we said before, one was big, one was small, according to Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar. Where do we get that from? Torah Shlema says it's understood from the word Shnayim instead of the word Shnei. He says that Shnei means they're alike in every which way. While Shnayim means there's something different about them. That's the difference between them. That's how the Torah Shlema puts it. Sfas Emes Likutim says two things that are separate but still connected are represented by the word Shnayim. 
Shnayim. They're connected, but not equal. That's the idea behind it. That's the word Shnayim. That's all that. Then Itziv says this idea behind this is one is the Mashpia, one's the Mushpa, as we said before. And therefore, they're equal, but not really equal. They're separate, but not really separate. It's Shnayim. That's the reference to it right over there. The Darche Ha'arye. Right? I found that my son found this safer in a random, random Sfarim shop in Lakewood. And he bought it for me because it had a lot of interesting things in there. I have no idea who it is. I could get you the name. I forgot the name. But the Darche Ari I found this week says the Kruvim were made this way to hint to the way of a husband and wife that they should be considered like one goof together but separated only by their bodies. Miksha Echad all made together as one like a husband and wife should be and yet separated in two separate areas made of gold because when they act properly they shine together sitting in the Kodesh Dashim. because when they act with Sneas then everything should be good. Right? When they have peace with one another it's as if the Shechina is between them. That's the idea. However, there's an issue with this. The Torah Tamima and the Pardes Yosef point out that the same Gemara used to show that the word Shnei means exactly alike is the same Gemara that says Shnaim means exactly alike. So remember, the way we just understood it is Shnei means exactly alike, but Shnei means there's something different. That same Gemara, the Pardes Yosef points out, says that Shnaim is the exact same thing. So you can't learn it from the word Shnayim. He even asks, he says, I don't understand how the Nitziv could have made that mistake. The Torah Tamima is the Nitziv's nephew, if I remember correctly. Torah Tamima is Rabbi Epstein. He was the Nitziv's nephew. And he said, I don't know, my uncle made a mistake like this. That he said the difference is Shnayim and Shnei. It's not. It's not like that. He can't understand it. So the Torah Tamima says that right out. He says, from there, he has no Makor that the Kruvim were male and female, aside from the Gemara, which he says is not necessarily referring to male and female. And he doesn't quote the Rabbeinu Bachai, he doesn't quote the Rashi and Divra Yamim. But the Torah, what he really, I think he means to say, is there's no Medrash that says that it's male and female. So he says, I don't understand. So in the end he says, Sorchi and Gadol. The Paris Yosef also says, Sorchi and Gadol. They can't understand it. So we have this Medrash from the Rabbeinu Bachai, this Rashi in Divra Yamim that says there were male and female. No Number one, I don't know, I, again, I don't understand how you knew that there was male and female. Number two, right, the way that everybody's understanding is from the word Shnayim, which is incorrect according to the Maskan of the Gemara. And number three, says the Torah Tamima, I don't even know where my core is. So I've got a really hard deal with trying to figure out why, it, where we get this from, that they're male and female together. And that's something that, again, I have to spend more time on. I haven't seen enough on it. Yeah, Ruben, what are you going to say? I was going to say, it's a Shnayim Kruvin, If Kruvim is plural, right? If Kruv is the singular and Kruvim are plural, then you're 100% right. But it shouldn't make a difference. Shnei Kruvim, no, Shnei Kruvim would still work out. Like, you could still say Shnei Kruvim, and it would just mean two Kruvim that are exactly alike in every way. That would still work. That's what they, what all these Rishonim seem to say. But again, in the end, it makes no difference, because Shnaim should be the exact same thing as well. Okay, the next one. Balaturim says something that we set up above, that when they face each other, we're supposed to look like two friends discussing Torah with one another. Dayela Sashachar says, okay, guys, you have two people facing each other. How do you know they're discussing Torah? Well, did the Kruvim have a safer in front of them? Like, it could be two people that are having a nice discussion. They could be discussing something that's normal. Well, why, where in the world did the Balaturim get this idea that they were discussing Torah with one another if there's no Torah in between them? The only answer I have is obviously underneath them is the safer Torah. Underneath them is the Luchos. That's why it refers to two people. If you were standing on the Luchos, would you be speaking about anything but the Torah? <laughs> like, obviously, it's Torah. That's the only thing I get. 
got, but it seems to be that a very, very interesting answer like that. The Kliyakr explains that when a Rav is similar to a Malach, then you should try to learn Torah from his mouth. If he's clean of sin like a young child, then you should try to learn from him. When he's clean of sins, Bein Adam Lechavero, they're staring at each other. Then you should learn from him. And also by Bein Adam Lamakum, because their faces were down a little bit, looking toward the Aron, then you should learn from him. Right? Their faces look down toward the Kabaras because if their Chidushim came from the previous Torah that they learned, then it's good Chidushim. But if they make up things on their own and try to come up with Torah that has no basis in the Torah, or that preceded them, then it's a bunch of garbage. You can't just make stuff up and expect that to be a real thing. We can't make up those midrashim and just say, like, we think we know what we're talking about. That's not what we do. Going on. All of that was regarding that. We have one last... You know what? You can skip that. The, the second part of Rashi of right over there. But now we get into, like, the real crux of the issue, right? This is one of the most unbelievable mitzvos in the entire Torah. How in the world are we making idols? And placing it in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. We're told numerous times in the Torah, you're not allowed to make idols, you're not allowed to make images, you can't paint anything whatsoever, right? And here on the Kodesh HaKadoshim, in the Aron Kodesh, we have two very clear idols that were commanded to make by a Kodesh Baruch Hu. In fact, the Medrash Lekach Tov says that when Moshe Rabbeinu was at Har Sinai, and the voice came out and said, Lo Elohim You should not have other idols at the same time. You know, all like Zachor and Shamor were said together. At the same time that they're it said, Shnayim Kruvim. You should make two Kruvim. At the same time of Lo what in the world does all of this mean? What in the world are we connecting this together for? So Rashi says, right earlier, in Parakhof Pasakhof, that although these are allowed, that the Kruvim are allowed, you are not allowed to create Kruvim out of silver. You're only allowed to make them out of gold. You're not allowed to make four kruven. You're only allowed to make two kruven. And that is because what I tell you to make, you do. Anything else or in any different way, it's a vodazara mamish. And that's exactly what Hashem's saying. You're right. It normally would be a vodazara. But when I tell you to do it, it's not. And that's the idea behind it. And HaKadosh Baruch only told it to us once, and it was just at this moment that we had it, and no other time. De- deviating even a tiny bit would be a Vodazara Mamish, and you'd be Chayiv Misa. Yaakov, are you going to say something? No? Okay. So that's that. The Chizkuni says, even though it clearly says, Lo Sasa Fesolacha, you can't make a Fesol any type of idols. That's only to bow down to. Right? That's only to bow down to. This, he says, right, was Liyashivaso. Now, I don't know how to translate that exactly, but it's similar, he says, to the pictures of various animals on the Kisiyah covered up above that Yechaskel saw. And we see this in concept throughout the Torah. For example, he says, you're not allowed to wear shotness, but you are allowed to wear shotness. When are you allowed to wear shotness? Tzitzis and the Kohanim. Maybe the Kohanim, it depends on the belt. Or the Kohen Gadol, on Yonke, uh, Kohen Gadol when he wore his eight begadim. The eight begadim were filled with shotness. And Tzitzis is allowed to be shotness. That's allowed to be something like that. You're not allowed to be together with your brother's wife. But we have a mitzvah of Yibam. Right? We have a mitzvah of Yibam. Yeah, right? We have all these types of concepts that you're allowed to do. Let's say like this. We're not allowed to do Malacha on Shabbos. But you're allowed to bring Korbanos. You're allowed to do brismila. Clearly, certain things are allowed. It's all brought by the Medrash Lakach Tov as well. The Chizkuni says it, the Medrash Lakach Tov says it. So we see this concept. Yes, in one place, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling you, don't do this, but there are exceptions. And this is the only exception to the rule of Avodah Zarah. And don't say like, well, Avodah Zarah is so huge. Shabbos is huge. 
Shabbos is huge. Sleeping with your brother's sister is a chi of kares. Right? Those are huge. Shatnas, granted, is only a lav. Only a lav. Right? But there are big averos that we matter for certain reasons. Why are they mattered? Because the Kaddish Baruch Hu told us so. So if a Kaddish Baruch Hu had allowed us to do this, then it's mutter. That's how the Chizkuni answers the Kasha. That's how Rashi answers the Kasha. Those are Rishonim. And that's a very, very easy way. He said, aside from that, if they were meant to be worshipped, we never would have made two of them. They never would have faced each other. Where would they have faced out to the people. So you could bow down to them and they'd be staring at you. It makes no sense for them to be facing the wrong way. So you wouldn't have made two, you wouldn't have done that behind it. They wouldn't have faced down toward the kaporas. They would have looked up toward the heavens. Clearly it was never meant to be anything but noise, something beautiful. Yes, Yaakov. Yeah. Very good. Now, the question is, which Kruvim faced away when B'nai Yisrael did something badly, and who would have ever been able to see it, right? Who would have seen it? Now, you're right. According to that Gemara and Yuma Nundalim and that we just mentioned, it definitely sounds like, according to all those Rishonim and Achronim, that's in front of the Kruvim on the Aron Kodesh. But I would tell you, I, I don't understand it, because they never would have seen it. It would have been the Kruvim on the Parochas, if anything. I would have thought that. Or perhaps it's the Kruvim that Shlomo Melech made, which we'll talk about in a second. That's what I would have told you. But you're right. According to the Pashup Shat Nekamar, according to many Rishonim and Achronim, it was the Kruvim and the Aron Kodesh. And in that sense, you're right. They either looked to each other, or they looked away. But they never turned to the people. Do you get what I'm saying? They look this way or they look that way, but they had never any shaykhs to the people themselves. That's the idea behind what the chizkuni is saying. I think. I think that's what it means. Now, the next question is the obvious one. Shlomo Amelech, without a question, made kruvim of his own. They were made of olive wood. They were not made of gold. He placed them on the ground. He didn't put them on top of the Aron Kodesh. They were huge. They were 10 amos tall. That means 15 to 20 feet tall. And they stood in front of the Aron Kodesh with their wings, not like that, as the Kruvim were on the Aron Kodesh, each one facing each other like that. They faced this way. One wing was like that, one wing was like that. And the other malach was also one wing of that, one wing like that. And it seemed like their wings were touching each other. Meaning each one was like that on the edge, but they were not facing each other. They did face the people or face the opposite direction, but they faced that way. Seemingly, that's what they were doing right over there. It's a very, very strange thing. What was Shlomo Melech thinking? Why would he do such things? The Panach Raza says, because these two were on the Ktsosakaporas, while his were on the Aron itself. Now, that's the strangest thing in the world. The Kaporis was on the Aron. <laughs> like, I don't even understand what that means. The Kaporis is on the Aron. So you can't say, these are on the Kaporis, but that was on the Aron. Something's wrong. And then I realized there's probably a mistake. It didn't mean on the Aron. It's on the Aretz. If you look at every version of it, it says Aron. But it's got to be a mistake. A Nun Sophis and a Tzadi Sophis, they do look alike. They look alike. Someone messed up. Someone messed up really badly. <laughs> I don't know who it was, but some printer, some guy out there, right, messed up really, really badly. But that's what I mean. And I later found Rav Chaim Paltiel changes the word Aron to Aretz. And I found it later on. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, I said it at first, and I was like, this has got to be it. And then I was like, and afterward I saw it in Rav Chaim Paltiel, I was like, oh, Baruch Hashem. That makes a lot of sense. I'm just shocked that nobody changed this. <laughs> like, nobody was looking at the Panech Raz. I was like, yeah, it makes sense. They were on the Aron. <laughs> like, what, what? We know they were on the ground. It doesn't make any sense at all. The Chidah. So that's the first answer. The first answer that's given over here from the Panach Raza is, and again, we have Rashi, we have the Chizkuni, that technically is answer number one. But the second answer, I should say, the second answer is why he was allowed to make it 
Oh, no, no, no. The Rashi Chizkuni is for why they were able to make the Kruvim all together. I'm sorry. This is the first answer as to how he was able to make it. Again, because they were not in the same place. They weren't in the same place. But again, but how can he make statues? That doesn't answer the question of why you would be able to make statues. The Chidah quotes Ravidal Hatzarfati, who says it was all done through Nevoah. Shlomo Malach was allowed to do what his Nevoah told him to do. Right? He had Nevoah and he was able to do it. The problem is, is that obviously a Navi is not allowed to create something that didn't exist beforehand. A Navi can't make a brand new mitzvah. He can't create something that didn't happen before. And he was able to make ten other minoros and ten other shulchanos that he put in the Kodesh. Right? But to make two kruvim, where was he allowed to do that? So he quotes a medrash. This is crazy that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote a kuntras. He had a little notebook about the future Beis HaMikdash, because obviously in the Midbar they only had a Mishkan. But Moshe Rabbeinu wrote a kuntras about the Beis HaMikdash, and he passed it down from generation to generation. He gave it to Yoshua, Yoshua gave it to Osniel ben Kenaz, Osniel ben Kenaz gave it to Eud ben Geir, Eud ben Geir, etc. It went all the way down until it got to Shlomo Melech. And it was from the command of Moshe Rabbeinu himself to make these big kruvim. So although it's not there, it's mentioned in this thing. And I did see somewhere that there's another mention because the word kruvim appears, shnayim kruvim appears twice in these psukim. It's a reference to Shlomo Melech's kruvim that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote down and told them to do. And that's a great answer that he was able to do. The Bear Yosef is a very, very long piece on this. And why Shlomo Melech was on the ground while Moshe was on the Kaporis, where he says that one has to do with B'nai Yisrael learning Torah all day long and the other has to do with B'nai Yisrael when they're out in the world working and doing what they need to do where they still need to remember God. The Kruvim on the Aron Kodesh represented B'nai Yisrael when they're sitting and learning all day long like in the Midbar for 40 years when people are in Kolo Baruch Hashem and not worrying about anything else and the Kruvim that are on the ground represent Klau Yisrael as a whole. Those who can't do that and who have to go out and work and what they should do when they're out in the world. But what was the purpose of this? I Meaning, even if this is all true, and a Kaddish Baruch who said, okay, we're going to do this, we're putting out these Kruvim out there. And we do have the answer from a Victor Miller before, etc. What was the purpose of the Kruvim themselves? And the truth is, many of the answers above could really answer this question. We got it from a couple things over here, but I found a bunch of other reasons for this. Mori Nevuchim and the Rabbeinu Bechaya says, just like we're commanded to believe in the existence of God, we're commanded to believe in the existence of Malachim. We have to believe that Malachim are true. Interestingly, this is not one of the Yud Gimel It's not in the Yud Gimel or the Animamins that we created. It is in the Rambam in his introduction to Chelek. He does mention this. But we have to believe that there is something that happens through Malachim in this world. That Malachim exists. And that helps Bnei Yisrael understand that Nevuah is real. The speaking that we do to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is impossible because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is too far above. But Malachim aren't. And Malachim can speak with us. And Malachim can have a relationship with us in some way, shape, or form once we're high enough to do that. And therefore, they put Kruvim on the Aron Kodesh to show where the voice of God was coming from. Again, if it was one, it would be a problem. It would be like, that represents God. But because it's two and it came from between them, not from the mouths of the Kruvim, but from between them, therefore it's going to be okay plus their wings were above so to speak to accept the Shafa from above from HaKadosh Baruch who was above their heads for that very reason clearly there's something above them that was Mori Nevuchim on the purpose of the Kruvim
proven themselves. Another reason brought by Miriam Loez is to show the love that a Kaddish Baruch Hu has for his nation when we do the Ratzon Hashem. We know the Torah doesn't shy away from any language that makes it sound like there are two gods. We say, Nasa Adam Bitzalmenu. We will make man, right? Obviously, that's a problem. Who's the we? We have no problem saying things in plural form for that reason. Because Yeshar and Hashem, the ways of God are good. Look, if sinners want to mess it up, let them mess it up. We don't care. The Torah will always say exactly what it means, even though there are fools out there that are not going to understand it. So, however, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu only needed to make one big proof to represent him and another one to make represent B'nai Yisrael, when he wanted to do that, it's possible that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted us to know how chashav we are in his eyes. And unlike that Rabbeinu B'chayim mentioned earlier, one's big, one's small, it's possible that he wanted to show us that we're equal to one another. And that's why he said that it's the same size, even though one represents HaKadosh Baruch Hu, one represents us. But it really is about our free will, our ability to connect to God. And according to Miyam Lois, the way that it's wording over here is that we need to know that everything we do should have Ratzon Hashem. And that is the purpose of the Kruvim. That it's all about our will to be connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That is the second answer. Our third answer is brought by the Abarbanel and others. It's because the Aron contained the Luchos Abris, which represented the Torah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted us to learn L'Shem Shemayim like Malachim. And that's the reason why they're on top of there. Meaning, we can only learn Torah from Rebbeim that are Malachim. We mentioned that up above from the, from the Sfarma there. The way the Kruvim stood, they stood, they faced each other. Everything that we set up above, all of that is to show us why we need the Kruvim to know how to learn properly. Now, the Miamulis quotes this from the Tzoramor and the Shach. I did not see it in either one of those Sfarim. So unless there's a mistake in the Miamulis notes, I don't know where this is from exactly, but the Miamulis says it. They say it's to remind us that when someone doesn't keep mitzvahs or learn Torah properly, their children could be punished or even die. Chas v'shalom. And that's the purpose of the Kruvim. That when something happens, there could be something else. The reasons for this are manifold, why you'd have such a thing. But these Kruvim were to remind them that if they didn't do what they were supposed to do, then the results would be devastating. However, the kids also protect the world with their tremendous learning because they're learning, the learning of Tinoko Shabbos Rabbin, the kids that have never tasted hate, who have never done anything wrong. That word, those, the mouths, the hevel that comes from their mouths is so powerful. It's not tainted by sin. Therefore, because of that, they're able to get to an extremely, extremely high level. The Otsar Plaza Torah wonders if this is the reason why Moshe Rabbin never asked for help making the Kruven. The menorah, he's so confused. He's like, God, I don't understand this. How in the world do you make the, the menorah? The menorah is supposed to be one big block of gold and there's so many things. But the kruvim also had to be made out of one big block of gold. He had to carve them out from the sides. If he had a problem with the menorah, why wouldn't he have had a problem with the kruvim? Says the Otoplosa Torah, maybe this is why. Because the, the menorah represents something that he had to know how to make. The kruvim, by definition, shows us that we have to work hard for Torah. That we have to work really hard. He couldn't say like, well, I can't do this. God, can you just do it for me? That's not the way Torah works. Look, if you get an implant in your head that has all of Torah, you will have a lot of information in your head. That's not Torah. That's not Torah. You don't have Torah. You have access to a lot of Torah, but that's not your learning, and there's nothing there. And that's because the chinuch of children takes a lot of hard work. It doesn't happen on its own. Those nine la Torah says, this is why we see nevuah by children nowadays. When we don't have nevuah anymore, the Gemara Babasra says you can still find it by kids 
and by Shotim. People that don't know what they're saying, they have a form of nevuah, as well as little children. They used to say to the little kids, Psok li psukech, what Pasuk are you learning? And whatever Pasuk that kid was learning would tell them what they needed to know, what they were supposed to do right over there. We can approach them and tell them that, and they'll hop And that, the Adnan Torah says, is the concept of what the Kruvim being little babies sitting on top of the Aron Kodesh, what that teaches us. Ramer Shapiro of Lublin, he says, this is why the Kruvim not to be made of gold and not of any other material. Because when it comes to chinuch, you can't be yotze with copper. Can't be yotze with wood. Can't be yotze with lead. And you can't even be yotze with silver. You want to go ahead and learn, and you want to teach your kids the proper way of learning, you have to do the very best. And you have to give gold. It has to be pure gold all the way through in order to be machanach your kids. And that's why they're on the Aron Kodesh itself. Rameir Lublin, famously, Rameir Shapiro of Lublin, famously in the Lubliner Yeshiva, made everything beautiful. That yeshiva that he made, which unfortunately lasted a little less than 20 years, everything was gorgeous. It was the first real yeshiva of that like. And he said, for yeshiva guys, you need to make it the best. You need to make it the best. They deserve to be made with gold. He made sure everything was good there. Everything was working out well for this very reason. Taliotis is something unbelievably scary. We'll end with this. In one place, the Kruvim are called Malachi Chavala, damaging angels that were guarding the Gan Eden. And in another place, they're said to have baby faces. They're Malachi Mashas, but they have baby faces as a timeout. That is kind of the scariest thing I've ever heard of before in my life. If a really, a guy holding a sword and a gun was standing with a little baby face and going, gaga, goo, like that probably would scare the living daylights out of me. So I agree, yeah, that would be a very, very, very scary thing. I totally hear that. But regardless, he says, what's the difference? He says, when you're Machanich children properly, by keeping them by Kedusha, right on top of the Aron Kodesh, then they're baby faces. They're innocent, and they're able to do everything you expect them to do. You even can give them wings. But if you don't, they become little devils. They destroy anything they come near. You keep them out of Gan Eden, to the side, then all of a sudden they become destroyers. You move them away from the Aron Kodesh and the Beis HaMikdash, the result is Kruven become Malachi Chavala. If you keep them near the Aron Kodesh and the Beis HaMikdash, they become cherubic, angelic, little children who all they want to do is learn and do the best thing for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the way of Chinuch. Keep them in the right places and they won't be able to send. Matthew, what were you going to say before? I don't have an answer. It sounds like infants. It sounds like infants. Baby faces. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're 100%. It would have to be like little children, like cherubic little children. So let's call it three-year-olds. But I don't have an answer for you. You're right. It probably would be Kiruvia. would be Kiruvia. like little kids. Maybe it would be a Kitinokos if it's a little baby. I don't know how you'd say baby in Aramaic. You'd have to think. Iladaya. I'm sorry? The what? Three-year-olds. That would be Tinoko Shabbos Rabban. That have the Hevel Shopihem. They can still speak. They can say Torah Tzivalanu Moshe. Maybe that's it. Maybe you're right. That's a good call, Matthew. It's probably going to have to be a little bit older, but not crazy old and not crazy young. It'll have to be right in the middle. All right, guys. We'll stop with that. We 